revelation, people. Woo! <laughs> oh, I, ha I have missed y'all. I really have missed y'all. I've missed doing this. I've missed revelation. Even you've missed revelation. So, yes, this is, uh, this is fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot has happened. Um, a lot has happened since we last met. Uh, I left the country. Um, I saw wild beasts. Um, and then we went on safari. Yeah, I, uh, I ministered with wild beasts, you know. Um, I'm just going to leave that right there. But uh, no, it was, uh, it, was, it was so, so, so good. It was so good. And um, it was just wonderful to meet all these people that I'd heard about, heard so many things about from Daphne and from uh, the other, uh, you know, the other people who had, who had been before. And uh, then, you know, it was wonderful to be cooped up for two weeks in, 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 in small confined places with these wonderful people from Northside. We love each other on a level unlike before. And it's, and it's very, very good. It's very, no, seriously, it was, it was great. It was great. And make sure that you're here on the 28th, okay? The 28th. Is that right? The 28th. I want to make sure because I've, you know, I've already set a precedent for not knowing what I'm talking about tonight. Uh, but the 28th in all three services, the team that went to Gamasara were going to be uh, kind of giving, giving a report sounds so boring. But that's, it's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, we're going to be sharing our experiences, sharing stories. And uh, you're, going to, you're going to hear some amazing things about the work that God has done in and through Northside for a period of years um, in, with, with the church and the school and the people in, in the village of Gamasara. And talk about making a difference. It's just, it's really, really cool. So make sure, mark your calendars for the 28th. Um, of August. That's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. Um, let's see, we talked about sex during the summer, and we're all here. We're all here. And believe it or not, we've actually had several babies, um, you know, start appearing in the nursery. So maybe I ought to just keep the series going. I don't know. It's working. But no, I'm kidding. Um, we'll edit that out of the recording. So... But no, it's been a good summer, uh, but I did miss you guys. And um, any, any questions about anything since the last time we met, be it uh, church-related, life-related, sermon-related, any, any questions about anything? Okay, you ready to rock and roll? All right, here we go. We're in Revelation chapter 16, and we're talking about justice and judgment. This one is called Justice Served. Now, remember, just by way of a little bit of review, the way, you know, there are a lot of, there, there are different perspectives on how the book of Revelation is laid out. The perspective that makes the most sense to me uh, doesn't mean that it's, doesn't mean that I'm right, but it makes the most sense to me, and it's, um, it's the way that, Revelation is described as being laid out in some of the oldest commentaries that we have on Revelation. The reason the, reason the, old, the oldest commentaries are so important, Victorinius, uh, who wrote probably one of the first ones, is because these people would have been as close as possible to the time period in which Revelation was, was written and would have had access maybe not to people who were directly there, 
but to people who were in close proximity to people who were directly there. So um, that's, you know, for that, and there is, there is a beautiful literary structure present in Revelation of these, these uh, circular journeys where uh, certain chapters will begin the story of redemptive history and then bring it to a close. And then another one starts with a little bit more detail. I've talked about that before. And so we are nearing the end of one of the last, um, one of the last tellings of the story of redemption here and getting ready to enter the finale. So this is kind of like if you, if if you watch a series on TV and it gets, it's getting close to the end of the season and they are starting to set up the things that are going to make the, the, the wrapping up of the story really exciting. We're getting to, we're, we're getting to the finale. We're getting to kind of the, the zenith of, of the story. And <clears throat> this part is really intense, really intense. And it plays on something that actually uh, resides in each and every one of us. It's innate. It's tacit. And it's this idea that when an injustice has occurred, whenever wrong has been done towards someone or towards some group or, or something, we have this natural tendency, unless we've been twisted, you know, but we have this tendency to want to see things set right. There's something in us that when, when somebody wrongs somebody else or takes something that's not theirs or exploits them or abuses them or whatever, there's something in us that says, that's not right, that ought not be, and somebody better do something about it, right? We have this sense of wanting to see justice served. We have that. And so Merriam-Webster defines justice as the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. It's a lot of 50-cent words there, and I'm confused. Basically, uh, boiling that down, it's, it's adm- having a system or an administration that when something is wronged, there are authorities in place, systems in place to make sure that things are set right, that, that, that justice is, is given out. But justice, justice can take a couple of different forms. And in our society, we hear a lot about justice today. And even in the Christian community, there is some conflict uh, at, at times because uh, if, 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 if a preacher, not me, but if, if a preacher mentions justice in a sermon, automatically that is such a politically charged term now that you know, we, we start going to our, uh, to our political definitions of that and our political ideologies and everything. And oftentimes those take us in directions that define justice in just one way. But really, justice can, can take at least two forms. There, there are others, but for, for the purposes of what Revelation 16 is talking about, it, it, it seems to focus on two. And one is restorative justice, okay? Restorative justice, Restorative justice focuses on the relationship between the offender and the victim. The relationship, right? And this is a form of justice that is more redemptive, 
okay? It's a redemptive form of justice, and it sets things right, okay? It sets things right practically and makes things right relationally. So there might be restitution financially. There might be community service. There might be, you know, this is, uh, if, if, if something unjust has happened within a marriage, this might be something where there's some, hey, you can't do that anymore. Uh, we, you know, we go to therapy, we, we do this, and for a period of time, there, there are some restrictions or some freedoms that are lost while trust is rebuilt, with the idea of trust being rebuilt. Um, <clears throat> If this is a lot of times the kind of justice that happens when we were kids and we stole something from the, from the convenience store. Not that I ever did that, but, you know, for those who did, no, I did. I did. And, and when, you know, we're caught with it and we go back and they don't throw us in jail and throw the book at us. Usually there's some kind of restorative and redemptive type of way where it's clear that the wrong is wrong. It's, it's, there's, there's a clear... Um, discipline, but the discipline is followed up with a sort of a sort of restoration. This is really the kind of justice that um, uh, th- this is one form of justice that we're going to see in Revelation 16. Okay, it sets things right practically and makes things right relationally. There's also uh, retributive justice. Retributive, uh, uh, you know, syllables. Uh, confuse me, but uh, retributive justice, okay, retribution, and this is a justice, uh, this is a perspective that focuses not on a relationship, but focuses on punishing the offender, okay, there's really no restoration here, there's no reconciliation here, because of the nature of the injustice, it's a much more restrictive form when the offenses are heinous, or the offenders are non-repentant, and so, again, whenever justice is mentioned, our minds can go to different things. Well, we need to, you know, look at the context of where justice is being discussed and ask, are we, are we talking about restorative justice or retributive justice? And that can, that can help. But that's kind of a free aside. Um, but we see actually both of these in Revelation 16. So, justice served through God's judgment is the major theme of this chapter. And we're at the part of the seven bowls, right? The seven bowls. Here's another set of seven. We've had seven plagues. We've had seven trumpets, okay? Or seals, I mean, seven seals and seven trumpets. Now we have seven bowls. What does this mean? What do these bowls mean? The seven bowls are similar to the seals and trumpets in that they're going to describe some plagues being poured out on the earth. Because, you know, with the seals, seal was broken, calamity. Okay, trumpets were blown, calamity. Uh, the bowls are going to be poured out, it's going to be some calamity here. But here's the difference. The seals and the trumpets in Revelation 6 and Revelation 9, respectively, were warnings. Okay, because whenever they were broken or the trumpet sounded, they were limited in scope to a fourth or a third of the earth. Remember, uh, God, God uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the warning is you're going to be annihilated and then a tenth of the city was destroyed. And whenever it comes to judgment and things like that and evil, we're dealing with fractions. 
And so the, the trumpets and the seals were warnings. They were limited in scope to a fourth or a third of the earth. And those warnings and the witness of God's people, if, you know, when you get a chance, you can go back and, and read from chapter six and then after chapter nine, and we see those moments where there was repentance, where, where, where people listened. Okay, but in this part of Revelation, we're beginning to see how God deals with people who are absolutely unrepentant. That's what makes this so scary to me, is I, 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 I want to focus on God's mercy and God's love and God's grace. You know, I'm addicted to grace. I love grace. And there is, there is this other part of God's character that's not to be ignored, and it's what happens to a person whenever time after time, after time after time, they say, no, I will not repent, I will not relent, I will not change. What happens then? Okay, so the seals and the trumpets were warnings, but now we're seeing something different because injustice remains in the world as evil and evildoers continue oppressing God's people and destroying God's creation. That's what we see happening uh, up, up through Revelation 16, even with these warnings, even with these, these different things, people just continue to do evil. So here's the question, how will a just and righteous God respond? In Revelation 16, we see that there is a point where God no longer responds with warnings. That he finally, and to me, terrifyingly, <laughs> responds with judgment. So what does that mean? What is kind of the overall thing that I want you to get if you get nothing else tonight? And it's this, justice is served when evil is judged. Justice is served when evil is judged. So that's where the seven bowls are different from the seven seals and the trumpets. The bowls are judgments. They are the beginning of the end of the book of Revelation. They're the beginning of the end of all things. The days of mercy are ending. And in Revelation 16, we see that justice is at hand. And so the judgment of God kind of gets a bad rap. The judgment of God is almost seen as this horrible, as if God is just, just really mean and waiting to unleashed judgment but you got to remember this judgment is against evil and against those who have decided and insisted on continuing to participate in and practice evil without repentance so what does judgment do what does judgment accomplish okay we're going to see first the judgment of god brings accountability for evil it brings evil to account in, uh, in verse one, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Now, bowls here, we, 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 you know, these are not salad bowls. You know, these are wine bowls. That's what a lot of people drank their wine out of uh, back then. I, I don't know why they didn't have full stem crystal but they were just not as refined as we are, right? So this is, these are their wine bowls. They have the wine bowl. And um, what's, that, what's that nursery rhyme? Um, 
Old King Cole was a merry old soul, and a merry old soul was he. He called for his pipe, and he called for his bowl, and he called for his fiddlers three. Has nothing to do with tonight. I just thought, hey, there's using a bowl in context, right? Um, <clears throat> I can remember that, but I can't remember what Mitzi said a month or two ago. But anyway, so these are wine bowls, and what are they filled with? They're filled with wine from the grapes of wrath from chapter 14. And I know it's been a while. We've slept since then. It's been a minute. But in chapter 14 of Revelation is when we hear about the, the, the grain harvest and the wine harvest. And that the grain being brought in was a, a, significant, uh, was a, a, a sign uh, and a way of talking about the righteous being brought in. And then the grapes, they were put in the wine press and the grapes of wrath are, are poured out. And so these are wine bowls filled from the grapes of wrath. This is repetitive sin. This is a refusal to repent. Verse two, the first angel went out and poured his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl and it turned into blood like that of a dead person in the sea and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Then I heard an angel in, the char in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments, O Holy One. You are, you who are and who were. Okay, now, what do these plagues sound like? What do they remind you of? Ugly festering sores, boils. Water being turned to blood. See, again, we have these callbacks to, to, the, uh, to the time of the Exodus. And, and again, for 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 the people hearing this for the first time, you know, they, they, they go, that's the, they often go back to. When did God last really, really unleash his judgment on, on, on someone on the earth? Well, that would have been their reference point. And in those plagues, it was God showing himself to be greater than those gods and those uh, elements that people were trusting in and even worshiping um, in Egypt. Well, here, once again, those things that we, we put our faith in and put our trust in are our own, our own bodies, our own, um, our own world. You know, oh, the sea's never going to dry up. Nothing's ever going to happen. These things are constant. Well, no, now even those things, everything in them is dying. And yet you have this angel saying, you're just in this. This is a just judgment, holy one. Verse six, why? Why, why? why is this said? For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. This is a variation on that. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. You live by violence, you die by violence. And I think it was even the last lesson we had, the law of uh, the principle of the path. Your direction determines your destination, not your intention, and the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap longer than you sow. You reap more than you sow. These have sown blood and violence, and now they are being made to drink the full measure of the judgment that they have poured out. Uh, or the, the violence that they have poured out on people. In your notes, I put that it's, it's important to remember that God is both merciful 
and just, both merciful and just. I love talking about the merciful part. And we have time right now. This is, this is a time of mercy. But the, 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 one, of the le- one of the many lessons in Revelation 16 is that time won't always be there. There is a time when the days of mercy will come to an end. And uh, Craig Kester, who wrote a commentary on Revelation, he, he talks about that, you know, talking only about mercy and never about the justice of God is really more of a, what he calls a Santa Claus theology. You know, that Jesus is more my Santa Claus than anyone else. And he, you know, he, 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 he comes and he brings me gifts. And, um, you know, there, there's not a bunch of wrath with Santa Claus. I mean, what, a lump of coal? But I've never known a kid who actually got a lump of coal. So see, it, it, we, we developed this Santa Claus theology. And Craig Kester says a, a Santa Claus theology cannot cope with the reality of evil. And so what's happening here in this first part in verses 1 through 6, the bowls are poured out, the boils, the water, everything's turned into blood, the sea is dying, and the angels are, set, are, are proclaiming, this is just judgment because they've shed the blood of your people and you've given them blood to drink as they deserve. That is horrifying. And yet, the days of mercy had been extended and warning after warning after warning had been given. And now there are no more warnings. The justice that was warned about has, has, has come. Mercy has been displayed in the repeated warnings and the faithful witness from Jesus and from his people. And now justice demands accountability for the evil done by those who have rejected the mercy of God. And this brings up a very tough, a very hard truth that is in your notes. A God who does not judge evil is not the God of Scripture. A God who does not judge evil is a God that I have made up in my own image. And to bring that home, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way, and I, I, I actually read this from Tim Keller. I didn't come up with this, but Tim Keller uh, says, if, if your God never disagrees with you, if your God always approves of what you do, and loves who you love, and your God hates who you hate, and your God just always goes along with what you want. You don't have the God of the Bible. You have an idol that you have created and a God that you have made in your own image. And, and so think about that. We have in this time, in this time of grace, in this time of mercy, we have warnings and we have discipline. And God disciplines those he loves. There will come a day when those who refuse to repent will no longer have the option of discipline, but it will be punishment. But while it's still called today and while there's breath in our lungs and time on the clock, we have an opportunity to repent and to turn. So that's what judgment does. It brings evil to account. It finally says, no more. Enough is enough. And now things are going to begin to be set right. Second, the judgment of God reveals true character. It reveals the true character of people. reveals humanity's true character. Uh, It reveals the true character of the one who refuses to repent. One's response to mercy or to judgment reveals their true character. And we see this 
in the revealing light that, that happens in these bowls and in the tangible darkness that comes about with these bowls. This is a very interesting contrast. Look there at verse 8. <clears throat> the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. See, this is... This is a callback to a couple of different portions of Scripture. Malachi chapter 4, or Malachi, the Italian prophet. No, Malachi chapter 4. And Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day is coming, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But, one of my favorite words in the Bible, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness. Wait a minute. The day is coming. This is the same, same son. Okay? Those who are arrogant and do evil, the day is coming and will set them on fire. But for those who revere my name, the son of righteousness rises with healing in its rays or with healing in his wings, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. How we respond to mercy, how we respond to judgment, says a lot about where we stand, where we stand. So that's Malachi's perspective. Okay, so let's look at verse 10 of chapter 16. Uh, and let's look at uh, the, the, the contrast between light and darkness. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And what's interesting here is uh, the, 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 the term in the Greek here, it, it's, it's, a, it's a darkness that can, be, that can be touched. It's almost like a, a, a goo. It's a tangible darkness. This is a darkness that gets on you, okay? It's creepy. People nod their tongues in agony and curse the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refuse to repent of what they had done. John chapter 3, John's gospel chapter 3, has a, similar, uh, has, has a similar contrast. This is the verdict. I mean, even, even, even here in John's gospel, uh, Jesus is saying, Look, this is the verdict. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead. Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who... Um, does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds may be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done is, has been done in the sight of God. So when we don't welcome that light, it's a burning light. When we do welcome that light, it's a redemptive light. And it reveals the character of who we are and how we respond to the mercy of God inviting us to repent or to the judgment of God when we curse him and still refuse to do so. So verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and, its, and the water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. So if you don't like frogs, you've got a biblical precedent, all right? Uh, they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the unholy trinity here, okay? They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world together 
them on the great day, for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Here we go. Here we go. And I love what Grant Osborne has to say. Evil always participates in its own destruction. So these demonic spirits are going out to, to take the people who already refuse to repent and, and influence them to even double and triple down. And they're going to gather up in battle array to take on the Lord. Wow. The judgment of God, third and finally, brings answers to faithful prayer. Interesting that here we have all of this horrific stuff happening on the earth. And then, like, 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 like a movie, the scene switches and we're, we're, we're hearing from heaven again. And I heard the altar respond. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the series, you remember those who are under the altar are the spirits of the saints who have been martyred. Okay, so that's... All right, and I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And, and remember in point one, it, it was, uh, the angels were saying this, but the, the angels were saying, this is true, this is just, and you are holy. And they were saying that because this judgment was coming because these people had spilled the blood and, and shed the blood of God's people. Now the altar is responding, yes, Lord God, you are true and just in your judgments. The prayer of how long, O Lord, that is echoed throughout the scripture in Psalm 13, Psalm 35, Psalm 89, Psalm 94, Habakkuk 1, Zechariah 1.12, and Revelation 6.10 is finally answered. How long, O Lord, how long? And so we pray, and we keep praying. Why do we pray? Why do we pray with all the evil in the world? Why do we keep doing this? I put in your notes, we pray because God hears. We pray because God knows. We pray because God acts. We pray, we pray because God answers. And as we wait for him to answer, we pray. And we keep on praying. There will come a time when the answer is realized. And fourth and finally, because obviously I can't remember and I can't count, the judgment of God brings deliverance to the oppressed, finally. Look, he says there in verse um, uh, 15, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. So as this concludes, it's hey, 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 this is gonna come at a time when it's going to be easy to be lulled, lulled to sleep. Look, I come like a thief suddenly, okay? Don't be lulled to sleep by the drone and din of the world's noise. We live in a noisy, noisy world. And there are a lot of threats, and there are a lot of uh, scary things being said, being, being insinuated, and, and, and being, being thrown at us. There's so much noise. I, uh, one of my favorite books is called The Killer Angels by Michael Shara, and it's, uh, it's a story about the Battle of Gettysburg. Yeah, Battle of Gettysburg. And uh, when, whenever my family and I visited Gettysburg, I was geeking out because of, I went to 
um, I went to Little Round Top, where the 20th Maine, you know, bayonet charge against the, against the Confederate forces. Oops, I'm in the South. I should stop. Uh, but, but anyway, and, and Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain was, was the leader of that. And in, in the Killer Angels, after all of that drama had happened, after all of that drama had happened, they, 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 pulled, they pulled the 20th Maine uh, from Little Round Top and put them where they thought it would be very, very quiet the very center of the line. That's exactly where Pickett, you know, Pickett charged, right? And, and so, but in the book, and I, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is Michael Shara's um, uh, embellishment or, or if it's based on something Chamberlain wrote, but there's a scene where the rebel artillery is just raining down on, on the line and Chamberlain is so exhausted, he hits the deck under a wagon but he talks about how the, the explosions and the screaming and the shrieking of the shells coming overhead and the musket fire all, he said, it became like a lullaby. And he fell asleep. Fell asleep. The middle of the battle. But I, I thought, whoa, that's Revelation 16. That's where it's saying, don't, stay awake. How could I possibly fall asleep with all this noise when there's enough noise it can start to become a din that you can find a rhythm in it and even, even all of the noise, can, 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 it, can, it can put you to sleep. And we don't want to do that. So I come like a thief. Don't go naked, <laughs> okay? Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamely exposed. All right, let's finish up. Then they gathered the kings together to that place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And we think of Armageddon as this horrible, bad place. But if you think about it, the time when battles have been fought at in the valley of Megiddo, they've been battles where God has come and delivered. Judges chapter 5, Deborah defeats Sisera. 2 Kings chapter 9, an ally of Queen Jezebel is defeated and dies. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 11, the valley of Megiddo is where the battle it wages that is the day of the Lord's victory. Yes, for the forces of evil, Armageddon is Armageddon. For the people of God, Armageddon is our deliverance. The name Armageddon Mountain of Megiddo signals the deliverance of God's people through the destruction of their oppressors. So keep that in mind. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. It's done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. They remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. We'll talk about the great city next week when we talk about the rise and fall of Babylon, okay? But all of these, <clears throat> all of these things that are, being, that, that are being done here are fulfillments of God's coming and final judgment. We see it in Revelation 4, 5, 8, 5, 11, 19, as well as in Exodus 19, 
20, Psalm 18, Jeremiah 25, and Ezekiel 38. All, all of these, and I know I'm going fast, I can email this to you, but all of these are references to it all coming down and being done. Verse 20, every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. Maybe then the insurance company would get you a new roof. Okay? And they cursed God on account of the plague of hell because the plague was so terrible. Here in verses 20, 15 through 21, creation itself is shaking off the curse and being delivered from its own oppression. Remember in Romans, Paul says creation itself groans and anticipates and waits for the day when, cre when, when creation is, is freed from, from its own oppression that has come as a result of, of sin. This is still an incomplete picture. We'll get more of a picture as we get into Revelation, chap uh, Revelation chapters 18 and 19. Um, and then we get the final description of Christ's coming in 20 through 22. So what John is doing, he's circling back. He'll describe in detail what brought about the rise and fall of Babylon. That's what we get next week. Okay, all he said here is the great, the great city split apart. What we'll get next week is a story of how Babylon rose and why Babylon fell. All right. Still, John's first readers, and everyone up until now, and everyone between now and when Jesus returns, has this record. Can, can access and can reference this teaching of Jesus' irrepressible judge, uh, justice and of Jesus' unstoppable return. He will not be stopped. And his justice will not be repressed. So what you and I have to decide is this, this record, is, is this, you know, reading about this judgment is that a welcome encouragement to us? Not because we're happy that anybody's being judged, but we, are, we, can, we can glorify God because he is setting things right. Or is it a despised threat? That will make it clear where we stand. Um, what I put in your notes, I think, is that the good news is that today is a day of grace. Today is the day of salvation, as Paul wrote. Today is an opportunity for you and for me to follow Jesus toward a future of hope and peace and freedom where we may have discipline in this life, but by his grace, we don't have to face punishment because he's taken that punishment upon himself to the cross for you and for me. So while it's still called today, you, know, you, you don't want to wait till, you know, Revelation 15, last verse, all right? You don't want to wait till then. Today, today's the day. So who are you following? Um, have you given over to Jesus? Your life, your, your sin, um, any, whatever distracts you, whatever is, is holding, holding you down and holding you back, he would love to take it away. 
Let's pray, and then I'll take, take questions if you have any. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you that we're able to come together and we're able to um, we're able to kind of get a glimpse into what is to come when we don't repent. And it's scary and it's ugly and it's horrible and nobody wants to hear it. I don't like reading it. And yet it is every bit every bit true as, as your grace is true. You are just. And you will bring judgment to evil and those who participate in it. Oh, that we, Lord, would um, see the extent to which we participate in the evil of this world and that we would repent and that we would turn to you and we would follow you. Thank you for making that even possible by sending your son to, to be the ransom and the sacrifice for us and by grace giving us a way to be saved, redeemed and delivered. Help us to think carefully, clearly, and honestly about where we stand with you. And thank you that we have time in this moment to say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Any questions or thoughts or stuff to clarify or anything? Yeah. That's the thing. It's 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 kind of like that parable. Well, you know, up up until this point, they've had the, uh, you know, they've had the two witnesses. Uh, they've had the two witnesses come. Uh, they were killed. They laid in the street three days. They got up. They've had you know all these all these other warnings and and plagues that. Uh, <clears throat> said it was going to wipe out this many, but actually, because there was some repentance, you know, that was stayed and that was minimized. Um, but it's kind of like um, the, the parable of <clears throat> Lazarus and Dives, Lazarus and the rich man, whenever the rich man says, you know, send someone to go tell my brothers. And I can't remember if it's Lazarus or Abraham. Uh, I think it's Lazarus that says to him, you know, if they have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't believe them, they won't believe someone who comes back from the dead. You know, and what a striking statement, given Jesus is going to be that person to come back from the dead. Um, so it, I, would, I, I would hope, you know, I'm, ho I'm holding out hope that there's going to be a majority repent. That's what I, I, I know, you know, broad is the, broad is, is the way. And you know, narrow is the way to salvation and few be that find it. I, I, I know that and I understand that, but I'm still rooting for, a, I'm rooting for a worldwide revival. You know, when it comes to, when it comes to different views, I, I really, really, really want the view to be true that by the time Jesus returns, most of the world will have turned to the Lord. Uh, that, I want that one to, I'm, I'm rooting for that one, but I don't know. 
<laughs> I want that one to be true. Um, but again, we've, we've got it right here. Even, even before it happens, we've got that, hey, this is what's coming. Um, and then that's, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. People are stubborn. None of us. But all those people out there are stubborn. All those other people are stubborn. You know, yeah, of course. Of course. No, that's, that's, that, that's good. What is it going to take? And I think, I, I think to me, that's a, you know, because uh, when we were in Chattanooga this, um, uh, the, over the weekend, um, <clears throat> one of the days we, we went to the aquarium, and, uh, you know, there, were, there was one of, the, one of the guys set up there with his, with his loudspeaker and the, you know, the kind of the banner, at, you, know, you know, repent or go to hell. And, you know, and he was, he was laying it on, you know, the, on the corner and everything. And, and I'm, I'm not saying anything to, dis, to disparage that. Um, you know, but there, there's no relationship there. And I think what, what it takes, what it takes is not necessarily us going and, you know, going up to people that we, we don't know or that we haven't earned the right to be heard with and everything. And, ah, you better repent or let me show you. Here, read Revelation 16. It's, you know, read it at midnight. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, <clears throat> and, you know, they're, they're freaking out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I don't know you. You don't know me and, and everything. So I think what it takes, what it takes is, is us... Um, you know, building relationships and, 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 and sharing our story with the people with whom we've earned, earned the right to be heard because what they get in addition to our verbal story is our lived story. And I think that's what it takes. It takes, yes, it takes them hearing it, but it takes them seeing it in us. Um, not perfectly, but purposefully. Um, you know, people I've led to the Lord, they knew I wasn't perfect. Um, uh, and, you know, sometimes they said it's, it's, it's how you handled how you messed up because you messed up so often, Kevin. You know, so it's how you, it's how you handled messing up that let me know, okay, this, this, this Jesus is, is real. So I think that's what it takes. One-on-one, um, -on -one sharing the story. Yeah. Anything else? Anybody else? Welcome back, y'all. Woohoo! Woohoo! So, all right. Well, I'll hang around. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll hang around. Ask me anything. Uh, shoot me an email if you have some questions that you want to. And, and again, uh, frequently asked questions is not just questions about revelation. It's you know questions about anything. So you just let me know. Um, you ask me what's going on in the church or what's next or you know all that good stuff. So. All right, well, let's pray and I'll turn you loose. Lord, thank you for the time. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for stepping into our story and writing your name on it. And I just pray that we would go out and we would share our story with others so that you can do the same for them and in them and through them and um, give us opportunities to speak it and live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank y'all so much. We're back. <laughs>